Our guest is Nancy Williams, NR4RR. Now, the first time around, that's a little tough to negotiate. NR4RR. I'll get it in a minute, though. Hello, Nancy. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, Chad. How are you? Pretty good. I these these call signs. If, if why don't they just stick to W's? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it would be easier, wouldn't it? Well, you know, it's funny. I call mine um, uh, Nancy for the N, Romeo for Romeo, Romeo. I say I'm a Romeo three times over, but don't tell on me, okay? <laughs> you know what? The thing of it is, is uh, that when you do it phonetically, though. That call becomes very interesting. <laughs> you hear that yes, on the because end. the other way it's radio, radio, radio. <laughs> well, either way, phonetically, it's mm-hmm. that's a, that's a cool call sign phonetically. You know. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, but I had to laugh. What was it? Uh, see, a friend of mine up in Michigan had Alpha Alpha Eight November, but that's okay until you try to say A A Eight J or A A Eight N. That's what it was. A A Eight N. You know, it's, it's like you can't say it. A A Eight N. You know, you're stuttering. Uh, and then um, it was another friend of mine had A I Eight J. And mm-hmm. uh, but he went back to his old call sign, which was W B H C A C. I can't remember. Um, what was it? Uh, something I don't know. He would always say something Albanian cucumbers. You know, and of course that you'd never forget the call <laughs> sign that way. You know, but uh, but some difficult call signs. And I always thought my call sign was nuts. W B eight P U M. And I thought, you know, that's just there's just some call signs that sound funny. And one, and I've got one of uh-huh. them. You know, but you don't you don't right. forget it. You know. Then I got on. Uh, I was on uh, thirty eight. 95 one time and uh a fellow there that i got to know k8rxw ken uh came on and he 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 gave me the phonetics whiskey bravo eight papa under mama you know <laughs> i just i thought i that's it you know i there's uh, i've i've all, now that and everybody used those phonetics from that point on nobody would let oh, me alone God. with it you know so it was kind right. of funny well, now the most interesting thing I think I've I've encountered in ham radio is that there is a lady here that writes novels and writes books um, mm-hmm. that are that are not necessarily about ham radio, but they include ham radio in the mm-hmm. in the um, in the process. And she's also a ham, which is kind of cool. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into the hobby and how you got to writing uh, in regards to to amateur. Uh, the subject of amateur radio. Okay, I'll try. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was licensed back in 1992. It was something that my husband and I decided to pursue together, and it was an outgrowth of a very nasty uh, hurricane in South Florida, Hurricane Andrew, in the 19 or around 1992. That that really prompted this. Uh, we were interested in emergency work. We both went down. Uh, I went with Red Cross. My husband, Tab, who is KR4RR, by the way, amateur um, radio licensed also. Uh, we went down. He went with a, a church down there to work after the hurricane. And it was emergency work, therefore, that really got us into this, really decided to to pursue it. We wanted to be uh, emergency ready. So anyway, I picked up my license then, and it really was not a surprise because my family was deeply involved in ham radio. Not my own dad, although he had to have um, 
radio training because he was a pilot. Uh, first during World War II uh, as a, a flight B-29 flight instructor and later in private aircraft. But uh, it was my uncle and my cousins who were involved in ham radio. And now I've pulled my sister into ham radio for the very same reason I got into it, because of emergency communications. So it's been, it's been very rewarding for me. Well, I, I guess... Um... Uh, the, the, I, I guess the ham radio, the license, and getting involved in it came then before the writing. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I was a teacher for years. I retired from teaching both in Florida. Uh, I retired, took a partial retirement from Florida, and we moved up to North Carolina after my husband uh, retired fully. And we had a summer place up in the mountains of North Carolina, in Robbinsville, North Carolina, to be specific. And uh, we took our home, that we, our vacation home that we had up there that we used during the summers, and we extended, we remodeled it and made it a full-time home. And we lived there for 15 years while I taught at uh, Tri-County Community College in English with an English instructor. But uh, we, we both... We're involved in ham radio, as I said, and we found that the mountains were wonderful. Uh, I was worried my, my husband is a, is a person who loves to talk, just like I do, and I worried that he would find his own niche being retired. Well, he did through ham radio. He got more involved in it than ever up there, working both in emergency services but also just for social reasons, going all over. And our high altitude in the Smoky Mountains meant that we had a really good signal out. You know, it's uh, uh, the the emergency communications things. It it, it attracts uh, a good number of people. Matter of fact, I was just sent a link uh, to an article that is in um, Popular Mechanics, I believe, mm-hmm. and it's an article on dealing with an emergency in you know in your location. You know, and uh, it it tells all the different things you can do and it makes all these suggestions. And then toward the end, it says and. <laughs> You should get a ham license, you know, and participate yeah. in emergency things. So um, that is um, the other thing, too. Don't Haven't you found out, though, that when you are a part of a group, like, for example, you get involved in local community things, that right. all of a sudden you're meeting all these people that you would have never met under any circumstances. And That's absolutely true. And it certainly is, and you and there's this whole new group of friends with like interests, mm-hmm. and in a very short period of time, you're surrounded by these people that you didn't even know six months ago or a year ago. Or ha- have you not found that to be the case? We certainly have, and we we certainly did it in the small town of Robbinsville, and the same here. Uh, it's been a little bit more difficult being the size of Chattanooga, where I live. You know, it's a little bit larger. It's a little bit more difficult, but we have joined the um, uh, Chattanooga Ham Radio Club, and we're also members of the T- TVDXA, the Tennessee Valley DX Association of Chattanooga. And that has meant a lot of friends and a lot of nice people. Well, I'll tell you something. You're, you're right over there in the territory where you're, you're right uh, close to one of my favorite ham radio guys in the whole wide world, and that's uh, that's Tom. Uh, you, you see him at all the ham fests uh, with uh, with the hat and the cigar. 
Morgan. Yeah, Tom, right? uh, Tom Morgan. That's right. Yeah, he's with the, Tom with, Morgan. He's one of our closest friends. He is. He is a hoot, isn't he? He's wonderful. Um, well, you see the CT Morgan and Associates booth at uh-huh. a lot of the local ham fest. I don't know how far Tom travels. I don't know where all he goes. You know, but uh, you'll always see him with the hat and the unlit cigar. It's a. It's like a trademark. You know. <laughs> It certainly is. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. And uh, we, we've enjoyed him, too. We just, he's hes really something. He, he's good to know, good person. Well, you know, what and, the... uh, and, you know, it goes even deeper than that. Uh, and I don't mean to bring up the books part again, but being as I have sold books at HamFest throughout the Southeast, I've found that a lot of the vendors at these shows have become good friends. And it's embarrassing sometimes because these people will walk up and go, oh, hi, Nancy, and they'll give me this great big hug, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, hi, how are you? Long time no see. And I've got my fingers crossed behind my back and praying, I hope they don't figure out that I don't remember who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens. That happens to anyone that that, that meets a lot of people, you know. It's, uh, uh-huh. yeah. uh, I know uh, we, we, we were talking before we went on the air, we were talking a little bit about Ronnie Millsap. And mm-hmm. uh, I can just imagine what kind of a deal that is for him because he runs into people just all over the place, you know. And then, yeah. you know, two or three years later, they run into him again. And, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I haven't seen you in ages, you know. And, of course, he doesn't have the sight end of it to where he can look at the face and examine the face, you know. But surprisingly enough, he seems to remember almost everybody he meets. And it just it drives me crazy. I can't figure it out. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, you know. It just... But uh-huh. I'm I'm that way. I mean, I I um, first off, I'm I'm forgetful in nature. You know, I'm ADD and forgetful and all, all that kind of stuff. So um, if I haven't seen somebody, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, it's almost like it's almost insulting. I would think to the other person, uh, uh-huh. and it really doesn't have anything to do with a person's ego. It's just that for some reason, it's difficult to maintain that database of faces and names and places. And uh-huh. It just goes away. Sure you know, I don't know, maybe maybe some of us just have sharper, keener memories than others, but I'm one that does not. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. It gets worse with age. You're right. <laughs> so, it sure does. Maybe what we have to do is we, you know, we have to in- engage people to the point where they make us real mad, and then we won't forget them. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell yeah. me something. How, how did you ever get into, uh, you know, like, for example, writing a novel inclu- including ham radio in it? How did that happen? <laughs> oh, I'm just waiting. I was hoping you would ask that question, Ted. I really was because it really is quite a story. Um, we, uh, as I said, I have taught for years and years, both both in North Carolina and earlier in Florida. But in in 2000, uh, my husband and I went out to do volunteer work in Colorado. And uh, we were out there, we were in Salida at a fish hatchery, and we gave all of our summer's time up to volunteer work with a fish hatchery, giving tours to people coming through the fish hatchery, trout hatchery. I mean, I know everything there is to know about rainbow trout. Please, I won't talk about But I hate to tell you, I just love to eat them. That's part of my interest in them. But uh, neither here nor there. Anyway, I decided I knew that the time was marching on and that I was going to be retiring in a few years. And I thought to myself, you know, I have to anyway. Tab is retired. 
my working at the college means that I go out the door every day. He's left alone. This isn't a good situation. And as he put it, come on, he says, we've got an RV. Come on, let's go and play, as he put it. And so we had gone at least for summer work when I was off from teaching. And we would go out there. And I started the novel in, in 2000. And it was called A Matter of Destiny. And I thought at the time I was going to make it a ham radio novel. And this is after a little bit of time went by and I got to learn about marketing. In the world of marketing books today, you have to have a niche uh, if you're going to get anywhere. You have to reach. You have to have an appeal to a certain audience. And I looked around, and it had been years, years since anyone had tried to uh, write and market a fiction book about ham radio at Ham Radio Fest. And there had been people, uh, I've been trying to think of her name, Cynthia Ball or Cynthia something like that, who had done it years before. And I thought this would be so good. It would give me my foot in with marketing, something that I could take to the publisher and say, hey, I've, I can market this book. I know I can well, I did find an agent. I did find uh, a British publisher, and everything was going fine for uh, a while after I had written the book. And by the way, I finished it in 2006. It took me six years for one reason. Um, I was only working on it during the summers. My, my teaching uh, yeah, I was instructor of English. It was just too time-consuming to do it during the school year, so I had to... Uh, consign myself just to summers. And I, as I said, I finally got it published in 2006. I had a British publisher. And then suddenly her accounts were frozen in the U.S. And I had all these shows lined up and no way to market my book and no way to get the book. And I went nearly crazy. I thought, I went back to my agent. What am I going to do? And every traditional publisher who would be interested in doing it, and I had a couple, they said it would take at least a year. So I thought, well, when and when you've got lemons, uh, make lemonade. So I formed my own publishing company and learned how to publish, and I sublet the work. And that was when Springflower Publishing was truly born. And uh, I went ahead, and uh, from there I, I got the second edition of that first book uh, published, and I continued my sales at the Ham Fest. That's the first book. <laughs> I better take a breath, though. Any questions about that? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm all ears. So just you know, I'm sure the audience is sitting there too. You you you're all excited, so don't lose your momentum here. Now let's say. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, um, I have been selling it and and doing fine with it, but I wanted to go ahead and do something else. I knew this wasn't the end. Hardly anywhere. Uh, far from it. And what was neat about doing my own writing and publishing is I could do it in the motorhome with my laptop. We could go out, have fun, do the kinds of things my husband wanted to do, and I was free to do it. I thought, well, you know how shows are. We do go around in that RV, but we go to shows. But it's still fun. It really is. Anyway, my second project came about quite accidentally. Um, when I wrote A Matter of Destiny, I mentioned Tentech in it, and I gave them a good review. I mean, I mentioned it in glowing terms. In fact, I have my main character um, going in, and he's with he's with uh, Defense Work, and he goes in to talk to them about defense uh, or aviation radios, I think it was. Anyway, uh, 
I sent them a, well, I first asked their permission if I could include them in the book, and I toured the factory. And they said, yes, this was before it was published. And then when it was published, I sent them a courtesy copy, and I never heard another word. Four, five months passed, and all of a sudden, I got a word that my my husband or someone had contacted Tentech, and they said, all of a sudden, you are the talk of Tentech. Uh, my book got to somebody, I don't know who read it first, but somebody read it, and then I, everybody wanted a copy of the book. And, and then the next thing, it, uh, a couple weeks passed, and then I got a phone call from um, Gary Barber, the vice president of Tentech, and he said, we'd like to commission you uh, to write our history and that was how Tentech, the first 40 years, came into being, because we talked then and I agreed to do the job. I was hired by Tentech to do that, just independent contractor, and I wrote that up for them, and it's now out on the market. It was produced in September uh, 2008, just before the Tentech Fan Fest. In fact, we were biting our nails because it arrived at the Tentech factory one day, the book arrived one day before it was going to be sold at the Tentech Hamfest. That was cutting the hairs too closely for me. I mean, I was really biting my nails. But I, and I was responsible because I was the publisher as it was. So there you go. That was the story on Tentech's first 40 years. And now, I have gone back and I have just completed a book called The Agenda 21 Conspiracy, and it is also ham radio related. I will also sell it at all these ham fests around the country, and I've got a few other ideas about where I can sell it because it has a political message, unlike the first one. And um, I've got a review uh I just received a review from Joan Upton Hall of Texas, who is an editor as well as author of a series of books, and she gave me an extremely good review for the cover of the book. And um, I'm hoping I will I will not have anybody else publish it. I'm just going to go ahead and publish it myself. However, in the future, I hope to do a nonfiction book. This idea, as I told you off the air, just came to me. Uh, yesterday, can you believe that? Yesterday, and I had the most sensational idea for a nonfiction book. I I just can't wait to get into it. It's it's. Uh, I don't want to give the secret away, but I will mention amateur radio in it at least in passing. Although it won't be the main focus of the book, but I will mention amateur radio in it, and it's it's going to be kind of a red, white, and blue book, a patriotic thing. I will hint about that part of it. Well, you should. You know what you need to do, though. You need you need to write a an amateur radio uh, novel that uh, that that will compete with um, the the soap operas on television, where you've got you've got the murder involved in it, and you've got you know a, a ham that's a real bad guy, and you got hams that are good people, and then. Uh, there's got to be some corporate scandal mm-hmm. involved, and there's <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately here, Ted. Uh, would you like to hear just uh, a couple sentences worth of of information about Agenda Twenty One? Sure, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, here we go. When Destin Campbell investigates the mysterious murder of a geologist near Andrews, North Carolina, the evidence points to the world's largest gold find in modern history. 
While others scramble for the gold, Destin discovers it may be merely a smokescreen for a more sinister U.N. plot. Is the U.N. trying to attain global political power through an environmental conspiracy? Worse, is the U.S. military involved? When people start to die, no one is immune to mortal danger, not even Destin's wife and daughter. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's not, now, is this guy, now, is he a ham by any chance? Absolutely he okay. is. Right. You better believe it. He is WR4RR, and that call sign, needless to say, belongs to one of our good friends. Have you noticed my husband is KR4RR, I'm NR4RR, and our closest friend who works with Lockheed Martin, and by the way, that's where I got the prototype for Destin Campbell, who works for Lockheed Martin. He is... Um, he is Rick Bassett in Orlando, Florida, and R2, our vanity calls, as they call them. I'll let you explain that. And my husband's is the only issued one, but we're, we're all extras, every last one of us. That's interesting. That's very, really cool. Very, very cool. Well, you know, uh, I guess the, the, the thing is, is, I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that, that novels, uh, even a novel, uh, can, can really pack quite a political message and can also illustrate certain principles that mm-hmm. um that can actually teach somebody in other words uh, let's say an individual doesn't you know doesn't have a certain concept of some sort and you know tends to think a certain way politically they read a novel and they see all the implications uh in regards to some principle of some sort and it actually can change their thinking in other words it uh, has the ability to go in deep into the subconscious mind and cause that person to kind of sway in a different direction once they're exposed to a, a given situation. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I've just, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I think of Crichton. Uh, when you were talking about it, I immediately thought of Michael Crichton and how his timeline, one one story about time travel, um, and another one about nanotechnology, and I can't recall the name of it, but especially the one about nanotechnology and the dangers there um, really got my attention. And I feel the same way. Behind in all of my, well, my two novels, is a message that I'm urgently trying to get out to people. Uh, beware. That's the kind of message I'm trying to say. Beware of what's happening here. You know, look into it. I'm not saying it's happening now, but it could. And everybody should be aware of that. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, you know, um, when I was real young, I read Atlas Shrugged. Have you ever read that book? Absolutely. Yes. Ayn Rand. And she wrote The Fountainhead and uh, something about I, I think, was another book. As a matter of fact, I was a member of the Nathaniel Brandon Foundation for Ayn Rand in the 60s. Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, reading Atlas Shrugged mm-hmm. will change your entire head. <laughs> Want it, though. <laughs> when you it begin. did mine. Yeah. It did mine. That's why I, I shouldn't say it, maybe. I, I should watch what I say. But I am a conservative politically, and it certainly changed mine. That and my military background. Uh, you put the two together, and you've got somebody who's never going to be anything but conservative. Um. <laughs> now, don't touch that dial. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with QSO right after this. H1N1. If you haven't given it much thought, you need to start now. Go to h1n1kits.us. 
That's H1N1Kits.us. Look at the menu and go to H1N1 Flu Tracker Map USA. You can see exactly where the H1N1 virus is breaking out. It may be in your community already. You can order the Flu Blocker Influenza Kits today. They contain all the necessary personal protection, equipment to help guard against the spread of the influenza virus within your work, home, and school environment. These kits contain fever strips, a protective N95 mask, disinfectant surface wipe, antimicrobial hand wipes, and a tissue pack. Look for our note on the top of the page that says, as advertised, on Radio Disclosure and the Amateur Radio QSO Show. That is your assurance to get the highest quality flu blocker influenza kits today. The H1N1 virus is here, so don't delay. Order your kits today at h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. In this day and time, what we don't have much of is time. And if you enjoy operating and you just don't get a chance to, you need to take a look at the Trans World Antennas TW2010 and all the models that operate the different bands. Go to YouTube and put in Trans World Antennas and see how simple this thing is to set up. I mean, it is easy. It goes together fast. And, of course, that gives you more time to operate. You're not fussing around with an antenna. In an emergency situation, it is absolutely necessary. You need to have one of these, if not for yourself, for your club, or whoever it is that may get called out on a scene where you've got to operate and you've got to be able to set up quickly and efficiently. Go to their website, and that's transworldantennas.com transworldantennas.com there's a link up there to youtube and you can see how quickly this antenna sets up how easy it is to operate transworldantennas.com the light pack systems induction lights manufactured in the usa by a severely disabled workforce uses a unique physical principle of light generation light pack induction lighting is a breakthrough for professional general and special lighting applications system lifetime is rated at 100,000 hours or about 20 years based on 5,000 burning hours per year with a failure rate of less than 10%. Lightpak offers substantial savings in direct maintenance costs as well as indirect costs. Lightpak offers lighting solutions that provide a better quality of light with a 66% energy savings. Also, lasting up to five times longer than standard lighting options. Lightpak's quality shines through with their standard 10-year warranty on all products. Call today for your free demonstration. Go to their website, lightpacksystems.com. That's lightpacksystems.com, spelled L-I-T-E-P-A-K-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S, lightpacksystems.com. At QSO, we've got a new prize closet, and we've got some interesting things going into that prize closet. Be sure and write us and send us that email that says, I want to win. Put that in the text somewhere in that email. And go to our website, qsoradioshow.com. That's qsoradioshow.com. And send us an email. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're listening, how the signal's coming in, or if you're listening by podcast. But be sure and put on that email, I want to win, because we're going to have some really, really neat things to give away. 
We'll be putting those things up on the website and telling you more about them on the air. Be sure and don't miss out. Send us an email and put in there, I want to win. Go to qsoradioshow.com. That's qsoradioshow.com or tedrandall.com, R-A-N-D-A-L-L, and we'll look for your email. And now, ladies and gentlemen, back to this week's QSO. So you sit down to write a novel, and my question is, with all the stuff that goes on and all the, all the different subjects that are compelling and, and all the injustices that are out there, how in the world do you ever decide uh, on a format and say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, you, I mean, you obviously have to narrow it down and say, well, I'm only going to write about this. You know, I'm not, I, can't, I can't deal mm-hmm. with this and this and this. How do you, uh, is it just a matter of interest, what sparks your interest, or, or do you have some sort of criteria for deciding on the, uh, the no, absolutely. It's it's an interest motivated thing. Uh, I find, and, and how I put this, in in the case of both novels, it was the actual real conspiracy or suggestion of a possible conspiracy that got my attention. And I said, "That's wrong. I've got to talk about this." So that's my motivation more than money, more than fame more than any of that that was my motivation the other part of what moves me of course is to really turn out an extremely well-crafted novel and uh and i'm learning i'm getting better i think and much better and um but that's that's the idea now you see that's why uh i don't fit the mold quite exactly as as a good author should and why what i'm saying is both both novels are what you call action, suspense, or thriller novels, almost spy novel type stories. Uh, the nonfiction, well, that's in a class of its own. But one of the stories that I would like to do very much is historical. It would take place during World War II in Asheville, North Carolina, about elite German prisoners of war, ones that worked in the embassy and were actually held in Asheville, North Carolina. So I have a truthful basis, but, of course, I'm going to fictionalize the whole story. And the only thing I can say is my husband looked at me, kind of pouted, turned his lip, and say, um, you can't put ham radio into it. And I said, well, during World War II, ham radio was a big thing. And he says, well, he says, that's not current. <laughs> so I don't know where that means. But I'm interested in doing the story. I really am. Well, you know, I mean, would you, you look at ham radio in the past, uh, look at the popularity of that movie that was out called Frequency. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, dealt sure. with That dealt with the future, or not the future, the present and the past simultaneously mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it sure did. And it sure got Heathkit a lot of publicity because... <laughs> yes, it sure did, didn't it? I remember that well. I couldn't believe it. I the, When I saw that movie, Frequency, I thought, oh, darn, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Terrible to think that way, but that's what I thought. I thought it was just the perfect story. Well, you know, uh, something that, that I, I believe, okay, now, now I may be just crazy, but, you know, Hiram Percy Maxim uh, was quite an inventor, very innovative man, who just recently we celebrated his birthday. And, uh, you, you know, what's funny is he has uh, he created, of course, he created the Wolf Hong and he created the, the Ready Snitch, you know, which a lot of guys don't know anything about. And if you haven't, Google them mm-hmm. and take a look at these, these objects mm-hmm. of torture for 
bad hams. You know, <laughs> everybody needs to keep a uh, uh, you know a ready snitch handy up underneath the table, and when you run into a uh, one of, back then they called them lids. You know, you run into a lid, you go, you go, you get a vigilante group together, and you put hoods over your head, and you go torture this guy with a ready snitch. Okay. Anyways, um, uh, well, you know, it's fun to talk about. Let's put it that way. You know, the imagination mm-hmm. can go wild. Uh, but but Hiram Percy Maxim has a um, an award sitting at ARRL headquarters for the first ham that contacts Mars. And I mean that thing is sitting there. It's I mean it's, I mean, it's a tongue in cheek thing, but it's there. Wow. And but 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 he believed that there was some sort of life on Mars. Now he believed that. You know, of course back then we didn't have all the instrumentation and we didn't have pictures mm-hmm. of the surface and all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But but that was that was his thought. Well, the one thing I found which is kind of interesting, uh and it very well could be that Art Bell helped feed some of this. But a lot of hams, a lot of hams I run into are just totally, completely interested in UFOs. They, they I mean, the the whole thing mm-hmm. of life on other planets. Uh, Absolutely, SETI. I agree. Uh, <laughs> That's where my first novel was. Really? Well, they're they're mm-hmm. right into this. And uh, if we get onto the subject of unidentified flying objects or something, uh, you know, I've got their attention, and I get tons of email. And mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a group yeah. on, that meets on 75 meters. There's an actual net that these guys there get. There is. Uh, I've talked uh, well, a couple times to them. I didn't pursue it because it always seemed that I was busy during the day with the business and all. And, I, you know, I would think of it way too late. Best time they ever catch me on the radio is in the morning or later in the day, <laughs> not in the middle of the day. Well, you know, and, um, uh, you know I, and I don't get a chance to get on like i need to i mean i i really miss it mm-hmm. but i'm so busy with the radio show that uh this it, is just another mm-hmm. form of ham radio to me i mean because i'm talking mm-hmm. to all these hams and whatnot but um i just had a, an interesting email from a gentleman from the los angeles school system uh requesting uh-huh. permission to put qso on their on their on their their library system uh, so that you know kids can download it and I think they've oh, got like fantastic. 51 high schools and 31 middle schools or something. I said, go for it. Go ahead. Unreal. Unreal. I'm so excited about that. You see, we're doing something a little similar, not not maybe that good, but uh, here in Chattanooga, uh, we've been working with the Boy Scouts locally, and we've gotten a, a definite interest in some of the uh, Boy Scouts. In fact, uh, we gave one of our books uh it's not called now you're talking but it's base your basic book on uh radio uh what is the new one called i'm sorry ted can't think of it but anyway we gave that away and we're giving a really really nice radio to the first boy scout that completes and gets his license very so, very cool yeah, we're holding that out as a plum to them, trying to get them interested in a ham radio. And, and I, I watched something happen firsthand here. Uh, mm-hmm. The Williamson County group uh, here, they, they, they do volunteer testing, but they also have classes. And they're one of the most active uh, amateur radio groups I've ever seen that just seems to do everything right, you know. And uh, they, they've got a bunch of really good people involved in it. And... Um, of course, we've had them on the air. We've talked a little bit, but I went to one of their volunteer mm-hmm. testing uh, sessions they had, and uh, Butch Smith, uh, his N4TK, I think it's his call sign, uh, who is a broadcast engineer professionally, 
And um, but he he's very active in this volunteer testing program. Well, I went in, and one of the mm-hmm. fellows at from the Williamson County Club, and I can't recall his name, uh, had purchased a bunch of VHF radios. And what he had done, mm-hmm. they, I guess they had modified them, worked on them, and got them going, and set them up on repeaters. And all those young people that passed their test, they gave them an HT. Oh, and wonderful, I w- isn't it? <laughs> wish you could have seen the look on their faces when right. this guy would hand them the HT, and they would see, you know, and they looked at it, and it was like, "This is your radio. <laughs> this is your first radio," <laughs> yeah. you know, and. Uh, uh, and of course, they light up like a Christmas tree, you know. And he right. he would give them little instructions as to how the thing operated and all that. And it was just it was just very very cool. I, I thought that was oh, that is so awesome. But I, what, I, that really touches me because you know we've got to get the youngsters involved in this uh, if the ham radio is going to be around as as a hobby. And more than a hobby, I guess because I'm interested in emergency communications, I see an extremely positive need for ham radio to be out there. And more than that, some of it in the old tube type, just because of what they call the EMP, the uh, you know electromagnetic pulse, uh, in case of a, that kind of an emergency. But, I mean, be ready for all kinds of emergencies. Look at what happened with the Twin Towers uh, <laughs> on this date, you know? Um, yeah, no, I guess I, one I, date off. <laughs> I, I keep I keep my old Drake TR four sitting around here working, mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking if it, of course I you know we we know so little about EMP we really don't know uh, you know how to protect anything against it. I guess that would take out all the computers and it would take out uh, cell phones. It would <laughs> that EMP uh, would take out just about everything. But if you had mm-hmm. an old Drake radio or a tube type radio, they say that uh, you would still be in business. Well, you'd still be in business. One yeah. of the things that I want to do and I and I'll and I kind of go ahead and make this announcement now after getting that call from the uh, uh Los Angeles school system is I would like I what I want to do on QSO is I want to get some guys on the air uh and and do shows with individuals mm-hmm. that are really really good at certain things. Like for example, uh I would like to have some some folks on to talk intricately and start right from the very beginning and talk about, you know, uh, data on the air. You know, what mm-hmm. what forms of data can you do? How do you do it? I want to get somebody on that knows about how to work satellites. You know, I want to get somebody on the air that knows that's into kit building um, mm-hmm. and explore facets of ham radio, but start at the very, very beginning and the very, very basics so that as our programs wind up in places like the Los Angeles school system, that all these mm-hmm. little things can be can be taught. Now we'll, we'll mix it in with other things as well, but I just think that would be really, really. Um, oh, it sounds wonderful! A cool Dad. thing, it really does, and cool... I got very definitely needed. You know, so, and I got a, I got a, a an email from Alan Pitts, and uh, Alan says that uh, every time they're on the air, they get a ton of email from China. And uh, <laughs> we've we've really uh, been real tickled about our Chinese listeners, our Chinese counterparts, and they have just now the league has just now published the ARRL antenna handbook in Chinese. So, uh, really? Alan is sending me a copy of this, and I, I, of course, I won't be able to read it, but I'm going to have a lot of fun looking at it and uh, 
in passing it around. So, that, oh, I think that's that's wonderful. Yeah, so many, that would be fun to see. So many facets of the hobby, though, that I, I can yes. see that you you really never run out of things to write about, or if you if you engaged ham radio. But here here's something else that I that I was wondering about, and that is this: um, what about uh, it, the implications i guess i want to say for people who are not into ham radio mm-hmm. picking up one of these novels and reading it and then of course uh, the possibility exists that that would really spark their interest in other words uh, once they read a story or amateur mm-hmm. radio is woven into the fabric of the story uh, mm-hmm. Have you ever had people come to you and say, "You know what? I, I you know, I, I, this ham radio stuff sounds pretty cool." Uh, <laughs> after reading your book, I think I want to become a ham. Have you had a, Have you had that happen? I've had I've had two who have approached me that way. Yes, uh, youngsters, and uh, I wish there were more. Uh, but then you know, I go to these shows and I don't return for one two years, so I don't know. You know, it'll be a different book by that time. And I don't know if they have forgotten to say that by by that point. But, yeah, two have contacted me. And I have, oh, I can't tell you, I've had several people who got more interested in emergency work as a result of some of this. So I think it's a very positive thing. That's, um, that, and that's really good. But, you know, I guess you would, you'd, you'd really never know for sure. I mean, you would never know. You probably would never get the feedback. Right. Uh, you wouldn't get the feedback. But I, but I'm thinking you know the the average gen, the general public uh, what a way to reach those people and to be able to tell them the story of amateur radio and what mm-hmm. it can do and what it's all about uh, than a novel my goodness that would be the ideal way to go matter of fact if one of, if one of your novels ever gets made into a movie or uh, even a, a you know a, a television series or something that could uh, <laughs> that could really impact. Oh, an awful oh, lot it of people. Certainly could. Um, yeah. When you um, when you get when you get ready to write, and let's just say that we have some uh, some folks out there that are interested in maybe doing a little short story writing or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you give them some pointers and tell them where they would where they would begin? I think I would be interesting to have some short stories, some short fiction, ham radio stories, appear in some of the magazines from time to time. We used to have that kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. It is, and it's a very good point. Um, I wrote a short story in 2008, which was holiday-based, and it was put out in a book uh, by Greyhound Books called uh, Christmas Ch- Chattanooga Christmas 2008. It was just a local book. Um, but it was it was a military story, not a ham radio. But, you know, it's really a neat idea, Ted. I haven't really thought about doing that. But sure, uh, short stories, I, I'm sure there's a medium for it. We're, I'm in the Chattanooga Writers Guild, by the way, uh, a local writing group. And I can tell you there are several publishers looking for that kind of material, short stories. And then there are even ones looking for what they call the lyrical essay, but that's kind of a little bit of foot and probably wouldn't lend itself well for ham radio but i i'm just really uh i think that a, a good short story is a good thing and yeah you could do it you sure could um i would suggest that somebody want who wants to do that kind of work get involved with a local writing group wherever they are 
they're, they can learn more, they can progress better and get more enthusiasm to stay on task through a writing group than anything else I know of. And I have relied on writing groups from the very beginning. And more than that, I would also recommend that they go to writing conferences because that's where the big guys go, where the big dogs hang out, the agents and the publishers who are interested. And you can pitch your book. They have something called a pitch, which is one or two sentences. Some people refer to it as a log line that you use with the agent to get their interest. And they'll, they'll say if you pitch verbally to them, and you, you pitch your one or two sentence line, they'll look at you and they'll say, go on, or they'll say, no, I'm not interested in that. And right away they'll cut you off at that point if they're not. But it's a really neat way to extend your ability to influence yourself in writing and, and get there. It really is through the conferences and the writing group. Well, you know, I was going to say, if if the league was not interested in, in, in publishing let's say, a short story in QST or CQ magazine or, or, or any mm-hmm. of the, the publications that's out there, I'm sure there's space for that probably on the ARRL website, and I know we could put it on the QSO website. But I think that would really, really be cool, especially if, you know, if, if you felt led to, uh, <laughs> I guess I want to well, say... Well, I can... I can- uh, rise to the occasion. I think that would be a neat idea. I'll try writing a story. Uh, you know, and and the thing is, is that of course that could also spur some some book sales too, with the with the appetite. But then maybe also encourage uh, some other hams that are out there that 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 maybe have some writing skills to write mm-hmm. some short stories uh, and and put something like that right online. I think that might be a real. Uh, because a lot of folks enjoy reading, and especially if if you can download the short story in a PDF format or something, because there's a lot of folks running around with Palm Pilots and these little uh, Kindles. Right, and that all. would that would be Kindle or one of those. Yeah, I think Google has a new system, and uh, yeah, that that would work. That would definitely work. So we, we've come up with we we've given birth to a new idea here. Well, we're, we're, new idea <laughs> here. It's just been born. Let's <laughs> well, write some short stories involving ham radio, and let's see those people get out there and do it. I I don't have to be the only one. Well, if you know, if somebody's interested in doing that, shoot shoot me an email, and uh, and I'll and I'll put you in in, in contact with. Uh, with with Nancy here and but do you have do you have a website? I don't have a, I don't have a problem. Let me give you my website and, okay. and my phone number. I have no problem with that. Okay. Let them contact me too. I I would love to help somebody along. Um, my website and by the way, it's being updated with the new third book here within a couple of weeks. It's right in. It has the old schedule on it, so I apologize for that. But it is uh, www dot N. L. Williams, that's for Nancy Louise, by the way. N. L. Williams, writer, all run together. N. L. Williams, writer.com. N. L. Williams, writer.com. And of course, Correct. we'll have a link to your website on the QSO uh, website. And, and I know phone numbers are all but impossible to remember when someone gives them out over the air. And uh, I've often wondered know, why they're true. just almost a waste of time on commercials. I used to say to people, hey, why do you do that? Nobody's going to remember the phone number unless it's something real okay. crazy. You know, unless it's something really crazy, you know, like you and, you know, you've got mm-hmm. some sort of, um, uh, you know, phonetics that you can you can okay. give the, the phone number. But 
I was going to say... Um, uh, I do have an email that follows that website very nicely and neatly. Okay. And it's, um, it's nlwilliamswriter at comcast.net. nlwilliamswriter at comcast.net. Well, if there's anyone out there that's got an interest in writing some short stories... Uh, about amateur radio, then you uh, give uh, give Nancy a call uh, by means of uh, the website or her email address. Uh, and, of course, you can check out our website. We'll have a link uh, to her from, from our website so you can find her. There's no <laughs> you, You'll be able to locate her without any trouble at all. You know, I, you know something else I thought about, too, and I, I, this is really off topic, but, you know, with SETI being what it is, and I and I had a, a conversation mm-hmm. here not too long ago on our other radio show, Radio Disclosure, uh, with Stanton Friedman, and I, and I said, you know, mm-hmm. SETI's got these big dishes and they're all aimed up in the heavens and they're listening and they're listening and they're listening, you know. And um, I guess uh, you know I, I'm thinking that uh, you know we, we're now we've now transitioned from analog television to digital high definition digital television. So right. if you go into a major city somewhere, you could turn on a regular television set connected to an antenna, you're not going to pick up anything. You're not going to hear anything. So I guess my, my question becomes, if we're looking for communications coming from outer space, mm-hmm. wouldn't you think chances are that the mode by which they are sending is probably going to be something that we have never encountered before or don't know exactly quite how to pick it up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think that if there is contact that's going to be made with, with E.T., I believe it's going to be a ham radio operator that's going to wind up doing it. I really do. You know, um, you know, we get on, that's we, an interesting thought, you know? Very we, interesting. We get, uh, I think they, don't they use Morse code in some of their attempts to cut through uh, space noise? You know, I, I, I asked Stanton, I said, do they transmit? He said, no, they just receive. I said, well, have they ever transmitted? He said, one time. And I said, well, that's not enough. I mean, can you imagine going on the air and calling CQ once? I mean, you're not going to get a response, you know. So, but I, I'm thinking that um, I'm thinking that, that that hams. I mean, if 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 you are on the air, and even if you're using a form of communication that's outdated in terms of mm-hmm. ET, e- e- you know, um, I would think that by calling CQ would be the best way to do it. I mean, I would think by putting something out. I mean. If you heard a Morse code signal, you heard an old AM signal on the band, um, without calling out, I, I think they're almost wasting their time. At least that's my opinion, and mm-hmm. that and a dollar will bitch get you a small cup of coffee somewhere. Um, but I've I, I wondered about that. And um, being that you, you deal in, in the, I guess I want to say, the hypothetical and imaginary world, in 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 writing novels about ham radio, mm-hmm. uh, right? How how does all of that strike you? Oh, I'm very definite, uh, definitely a believer in in the fact that there are ETs out there. I'm probably putting myself out on limb. I don't mind doing it uh, for a number of years while I taught. It was the last thing I would mention. I've always kept that close to the cuff. Uh, it had largely to do with my dad who um, we, our whole family saw a UFO in 1953 in Washington State over the Tolt River. 
and it was a daylight sighting. It was a five-minute sighting. It was a very traditional, what we would call a saucer-shaped object, and uh, it changed our lives. My dad had had worked, uh, had gone into defense work for a, for a short time. Uh, later he was not, but he was in defense work for a short time with Boeing Aircraft Company in Seattle, part of the reason why I came originally from Seattle. And he knew he would lose his job if we ever said anything, so I kept that uh, very quiet. We, he made us promise we would never talk about it until he was dead, and I kept that promise. I didn't start talking about it until after he was dead. But it did happen. It was a five-minute sighting. It was not an illusion. They're out there. Believe me, from my military background, I have seen things like... <laughs> I. All I can say is they're out there. We know they're there. There's a lot more than our military establishment is willing to talk about. I am sure of that. And Stanton Freeman is, of course, that's what he's been talking about all these years. And I can only believe that it's because the government now finds itself between a hard rock and, well, I said that wrong, between a, <laughs> between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, yeah. uh, enough said about that, I guess. I really believe that communication is an ongoing thing. I think, personally, that the designs in the wheat fields and corn fields of England are just one example of such attempts at communication. Well, yeah, that's strange. And, and of course, on our other radio show, Radio Disclosure, we have uh, Linda Moulton Howe on every week. And uh, she just mm-hmm. got back from, from England, and she's, she's done some incredible investigation of these things called crop circles they they puzzle the daylights out of me i mean i <laughs> i can't believe it's just two old men with some sticks out in the middle of the field at night um, i don't believe that i mean <laughs> come on it must be logical about everything we pursue here and that in itself what what is it why do people not believe it i guess they don't want to believe it they don't want to have their comfortable existence and their comfortable world turned upside down. Well, Me, I've always been a person after the truth. I've always stood for the truth, and that's where I'm at. Well, it's scary, I guess, to some folks. I mean, some people, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why some folks react the way they do is because it, it's scary to them. It's a, it's a different yes. concept, you know. But yep. I, I, I think that what, what people have to do is they have to reserve, you know, their belief system and any new evidences that come along, and they have to realize that it, it probably isn't going to challenge your belief system. If you learn the truth, it's probably not any challenge at all. Um, you know, and I guess the thing of it is, is that it, uh, uh, I've noticed this, this increased number of hams that are interested in UFOs. And uh, and like I said, mm-hmm. I don't. Maybe maybe Art Bell has had something to do with that. I don't know, but but <laughs> I, I I know I know they're there. But I I really think, and I and the only reason I was asking you because I know you you you're writing fiction novels and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think that if if we make contact, I, I, if I were a betting man, um, I would say it's probably going to be a ham. It's probably going <laughs> to be a ham because. Uh, yep. Uh, yep. we're the ones that are on all these different frequencies and playing around with all these different modes of communication. And I think without transmitting, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to get anything. Although there's been some amazing, amazing uh, results for folks that are just outside shining lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. And uh, matter of fact, yeah, I, 
I've heard that too. And uh, some of the bigger cities as well, they'll see lights and and then they'll come out with lights themselves. And then the lights in the sky move to the rhythm of the lights that they shine. This is very interesting stuff. Well, Al Weiner, the owner of WBCQ, has got this horrendous, horrendous laser uh, that's mounted outside, I guess, in this thing that looks like an observatory. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess he can he could probably light up several square miles on the moon. <laughs> and, he probably uh, could. He he leases space on this thing. You can actually send him a message, and he'll encode it and point it to any part of the sky that you want to point it to, and he'll send the oh, message. Goodness. So, uh, <laughs> I don't, oh my goodness, that's a some real long distance communication mm-hmm. there. Well, listen, I think I think you're right on target, though. It's it's the kind of uh, creativeness combined with basic science and communication that makes these people what they are. And and I think you're right. Uh, if there's going to be some meaningful communication, and we're talking about two-way communication, it's probably going to be ham. So I like that idea. Darn right. <laughs> well, the most innovative people on earth. We wouldn't have cell phones today. And, uh, right, we wouldn't, would we? You no, know, we wouldn't. I don't think we'd have the, any digital modes at all. You know, because the hams mm-hmm. play, hams played with digital modes before anybody even knew what they were. You know, right? And uh, we've always been there. And of course, the least recognized, because I mean, people today walk around with cell phones in their hands, and they have no idea what amateur radio is. So um, <laughs> that's right. So we they don't have any idea, but I hope they find it and discover it. It's amazing. Uh, people who look into emergency uh, situations again look to keeping like a uh, very small food storage, you know, some backup materials and and so forth. And I can see, I can really see this uh, being an important part of of the future. That people will look back and say, "No, I need that ham radio. I need it." even in the tube type, uh, perhaps, or one of both, digital. And I might have need for this. Uh, the towers can go down all too quickly, as we found out on 9-11. And then hams come into their own. I mean, we saved the day in New York, yet it's not talked about very often. No, and we're also in a very vulnerable situation. This The sun is doing some very strange things. And the sun, Oh, tell me about it. The, the sunspot uh, cycle is down to nil. And if, so propagation is terrible. If we get uh, if we get one of these major solar flares that hits, um, mm-hmm. that in itself is going to create all kinds of problems. Can you imagine having the majority of the communication satellites knocked out overnight? You know, you wake up one morning and there'd be no network television. <laughs> I mean, you would not believe right. cell phones not wouldn't work. Not a thing. <laughs> I was told right. the other day a guy had a list of all the things that operate basically by means of data transmission from satellites. And, you know, I, I was amazed. There was, I mean, there's security systems in large buildings where they wouldn't be able to open and close doors, you know. And I, and mm-hmm. I thought, my goodness, you know, this is really widespread. Well, if if we had a and we we could have a, a one of these what is it mass corona uh, ejection type things happen mm-hmm. and we could get hit yes, with we a could. hit with a solar flare and it really wouldn't be that big of a deal here on the ground i mean we might notice something but you know but it would be a big deal to the electronics and and satellites and things like that so 
being prepared right. with that being prepared for that kind of thing to happen uh, at that point in time, uh, folks are going to find out real quick how valuable something like amateur radio is. When, I agree totally, and that's why I'm involved in emergency communications. And I, I like what you're saying. And um, and even if you're not going to be interested in ham radio or ham radio communications, that sort of thing, there are there are places you can go, like um, the American Red Cross, that kind of work, where you can be a valuable asset. So always keep that in mind. I, I think that's one way to give back to other people in a very wonderful way. And yeah, I believe in that in spite of all my beliefs about Ayn Rand and uh, Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I uh, just got a, a thing in the mail the other day, an email here that contained a whole bunch of information from the Salvation Army and their communications network, and I was really surprised mm-hmm. at how extensive that was. I really, and they're very amateur radio dependent at this point, from what I can mm-hmm. see. And, uh, and of course, that's a good thing, because if there's one thing that's dependable, uh, especially in the time of an emergency, and that's amateur radio operators, these guys are very dependable. They're there, they're committed, and, uh, you know, they're 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 willing and able and hands-on you know ready to do the job we're out of of time and i really appreciate you coming on with us and talking this has been an interesting conversation we did not stay on topic but that's okay um (laughs) we can do that if we want to isn't that yeah (laughs) (laughs) we sure can chad we certainly can and you'll have to come back and visit again and we'll have to i'm sure there's going to be a lot more books to talk about in the future and uh the doors open here all the time we you've got a an open invitation to come join us at any at any point in time you've got a new book out you want to talk about it and you know give us a call oh thank you thank you so much i i really uh, appreciate that and i i will thank you h1n1 if you haven't given it much thought you need to start now go to h1n1kits.us that's h1n1kits.us Look at the menu and go to H1N1 Flu Tracker Map USA. You can see exactly where the H1N1 virus is breaking out. It may be in your community already. You can order the Flu Blocker Influenza Kits today. They contain all the necessary personal protection, equipment to help guard against the spread of the influenza virus within your work, home, and school environment. These kits contain fever strips, a protective N95 mask, disinfectant surface wipe, antimicrobial hand wipes, and a tissue pack. Look for our note on the top of the page that says, as advertised, on Radio Disclosure and the Amateur Radio QSO Show. That is your assurance to get the highest quality flu blocker influenza kits today. The H1N1 virus is here, so don't delay. Order your kits today at h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. If you like to travel, if you're a camper, if you'd like to take your ham radio hobby with you when you go, you need the Trans World Antennas TW2010L Backpacker Antenna. 
It's the same exact antenna as the TW2010 Adventurer, with the exception it's been streamlined for the person who likes to camp and travel light. It's the same rugged antenna structure as the TW2010, with the black powder coating and stealth design. We all know the TW2010 is a great permanent or portable antenna, but the TW2010L Backpacker takes portable and emergency operation to an entirely new level. It's especially suited for the amateur operator who loves backpacking, cycling, camping, and makes easy access and quick setup possible for the most extenuating emergencies. TW2010L Backpacker Antenna is available now for a limited time for only $399.95. That's right, $399.95. Pricing includes backpacker, quadra stand, carrying bag, and free shipping in the continental United States through FedEx Ground. That's transworldantennas.com. And now for a limited time, only $399.95. That's transworldantennas.com. How many of you would like to operate 80 meters, but you can't because of antenna restrictions? Well, that's over. You can operate 80 meters right now. You can operate from your home, your apartment. You can take it on the road with you. It's the brand new Transworld Antennas 8080. Go to their website and check it out, transworldantennas.com. This is a portable antenna, but it can be a permanent antenna. It's stealth. It's not a low-profile antenna. This thing is a performance-driven piece of engineering. You need to see it. It will be at Dayton, and you need to hear one of these on the air. If you want to operate 80 meters and you can't, I love the 80-meter band. I can't imagine not being able to operate on 80 but nonetheless, if you're in that position, don't stay in that position. Go to the website and check it out, transworldantennas.com. Go up there and take a look at their brand new 8080 and look for it at Dayton. Here at QSO, we've got something new, and that's a prize closet. And we are in the process of filling that prize closet up. And we're going to be telling you on the air some of the items that we've got in the prize closet. If you'd like to win some of these things, we'd love to see you do that. But what you've got to do is send us an email. Go up to the website, tedrandall.com or qsoradioshow.com. And when you go to that website, just simply send us an email. Say hello. Tell us where you're listening, how the signal's coming in. If you're listening by podcast, tell us how you have joined this radio show. And then put a little note in there that says, I want to win. And we'll put your name in the hat, and we will have a drawing twice a month, and we're going to be giving away what's in our prize closet. Now, I can't tell you everything that's in there so far, but we'll be posting those items up on the website, and we'll be telling you about them on the air. But don't miss out. Send us an email and put in that email, I want to win. And let's see who the lucky winners will be. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our back guest to this today week's is Steve QSO. Williams, KC4AZO, and uh, I, I guess you're known as the Georgia Road Geek. Is that is that correct? Well, I'd say at least that's a self-proclaimed title. Back back in October of 2005, when I decided to kind of get back into the road geeking hobby, I got the blogging bug, and I decided on 
had to decide on a name for it, and I thought, well, the Georgia Road Geek, and I went out, found the domain georgiaroadgeek.com, and I've expanded from it since, so I guess at least it's a self-proclaimed title. Well, now, let me ask you this question. How, how does ham radio fit into all this? Now, this is what folks are going to want to hear, so, <laughs> and I, I looked up, I went up on your website, and I thought it was really cool. I mean, you got all kinds of stuff up there. Well, well, Ted, uh, I would say it fits because one of the things that I like to do when I'm traveling on the roads is to use my radio, especially my two-meter rig. In my real job, I have a 35-mile one-way commute between within Atlanta up to where I live, which is actually in Cumming, Georgia. It's located 40 miles north of downtown. And I had a license for over for about 22 years, and I was inactive for quite a while. And I decided, you know, since I'm back on doing these long commutes after getting married and moving up to Cumming and being a little bit further away from the office, I decided to get back in the hobby. And I tend to hang out on the Atlanta Radio Club's repeat too. And if you're ever in the area, please come over and a whole bunch of great guys on there. So. I just love having the radio to keep me company, and in fact, just a couple of weeks ago when I went to Huntsville, Alabama, I had the radio in my truck, and when I was just road tripping all over northern Alabama and a little bit into Tennessee, I had the opportunity to work a couple of the area repeaters around Coleman and around Decatur, and of course the Huntsville machine that was used by the Huntsville Radio Club for the Hamfest talk-in, so... I think ham radio is just a great way to go out and meet new meet new people and share all sorts of experiences out there in addition to radio. So that's how I sort of tied it into my into my road geeking hobby. Especially a couple of weeks ago, I decided that the Huntsville Ham Fest was a great excuse to make a trip up into northern Alabama. So I called the trip Rockets, Radios, and Roads. Of course, Rockets being Huntsville, Radio being Ham Radio, and Roads being that I just like to travel the roads and. Traveled up, oh, let's see, traveled 278 into Alabama, then picked up 431 from Gadsden up to Huntsville, and then drove 565 both ways to clinch it, drove into Decatur, and kind of just checked out the whole countryside around there to get several Alabama counties and a couple of Tennessee counties under my belt. And it was just great to have the ham radio with me to keep me company and pretty much along the way. So that's... Well, I, I know you came by the booth at Huntsville, and it just seemed like we were clobbered. We had, <laughs> we had so many people around. Yeah, a good time, it looked like. Yeah, we had, we, had, we had a really good time. And, uh, of course, Charlie Emerson, he's just outstanding when it comes to... Those guys really know how to put on a on a ham fest, and I and I and I said it's because they're all engineers. See, they <laughs> they they approach a, a ham fest from an engineering perspective, if that makes any sense at all. Well, you know, being ham radio, a lot of us are technically oriented. I work in computers or IT. I, my real job is as a database administrator, so. I guess a lot of us people who are sort of technically minded tend to gravitate to the ham radio hobby. And by the way, the Huntsville folks just did an outstanding job. I really enjoyed the ham fest there at the Von Braun Center. The folks at the Huntsville Amateur Radio Club who put it on were just awesome folks, very polite, happy to help you whenever you needed help, and made you feel right at home. So kudos to the Huntsville folks for a wonderful ham fest. And Hopefully I'll come back next year and maybe bring my wife and see if she can we can get her some flea market space to sell some of her jewelry. Well, you know, there's a lot of women that show up at these ham fests, a lot of female hams mm-hmm. and a lot of XYLs. And oh, yeah. uh, and I, the guys, the people that sell the jewelry do pretty good. <laughs> they really do. I mean, you always see 
people crowded around their booth and uh, uh, you know this and, and they've got some cool stuff. I mean, what what I've yeah. seen so far, so that'd be a good thing. I was in, I was quite impressed, and when I got back home that Saturday night, I told Mary about the different booths set up, like in the Boneyard area and the regular area, and said next year you ought to consider getting your stuff and going and selling, see if you can sell some of your jewelry out there in Huntsville. So it would be another good excuse to head out to the Ham Fest. You know now the the uh, the website that that you go to when you first go to the Georgia Road Geek dot com uh-huh. uh, it it kind of would lend the impression to the onlooker the guy just coming up on the uh, on the website that you uh-huh. just might be an interstate truck driver but that's just not the case so uh, you know I I guess I I you, you ought to explain the twist because it's a cool it is a uh, it's a cool website and uh, I know you are. Evidently, to you, the road is a hobby. In other words, this is something you you just enjoy traveling mm-hmm. and going oh, around. Absolutely, and so, in fact, it's it's a hobby to a lot of people out there, Ted. More than more people than you imagined. Back in late '97, in the early days of the internet, I decided just for giggles one day to Google interstate highway system, and then I found all these websites to people, and I thought, well, gum, there's people out there who are just as interested in roads as as I ever was. And that's where I learned what the term road geek was. So I started corresponding with some of these folks. I I did an initial website years ago, which I've long since abandoned that. And of course, it's now the Georgia Road Geek. But there's a whole lot of people out there that just love the idea of traveling and telling you like where where this interstate or this highway goes to or from, all sorts of little nuances, for instance, like different highway fonts. There's a new font called Clearview that you might notice if you've ever traveled into Kentucky, sort of a new-looking road font on the big green signs. And I think there's a little bit in Tennessee. You might find a couple in Tennessee and some in Alabama. But we just get into all sorts of things about about roads and road geeking in general. We even sometimes have meets where we go and check out different major construction projects. For instance, last about a year and a half ago, several fellow road geeks we met up here in atlanta and we went and saw the project where the state of georgia was reconstructing a major interchange at i-85 and georgia 316 in gwinnett county and we got to and we just kind of looked around took some photos and just admired all the new work in this interchange that they were totally rebuilding from pretty much the ground up it was an antiquated 1960s interchange that had long since outlived its purpose and the traffic had just increased exponentially with the growth of metropolitan Atlanta. But I'll tell you, the, I'll tell you though, one of the coolest road meets I ever got to go to was in Tennessee. Uh, have you ever heard of the Smart Fix Forty? No. Uh-oh. Okay, Smart Fix Forty was a project by the state of Tennessee where they literally closed off one mile of Interstate 40 in downtown Knoxville so they could reconstruct it from the ground up. My goodness. Yes, and they had just recently, just this past summer, finally completed the Smart Fix 40 project where they just absolutely tore up Interstate 40 that particular mile within downtown Knoxville and just built it from the ground up, making it more modernized, adding more lanes and making it up to current interstate highway type standards. So they, the state of Tennessee decided that the best thing to do would be just to close off traffic altogether, reroute everybody around I-640, which is the semicircle bypass that takes you around the northern side of Knoxville. If you're heading from, say, Chattanooga or Nashville up to Kentucky or up to the Smokies or out to North Carolina... And the best, and one of the great things was, is that a friend of mine, Billy Riddle, who lives in Kingston Springs, and Billy, if you haven't heard this out there, shout out to you. 
Billy arranged with the Tennessee DOTs to actually give us a tour. So we met at the Tennessee DOT project office there in Knoxville for the Smart Fix 40. We got a presentation about the, the whole project, the timeline. They even had a clock as like a countdown clock where they were under tight deadlines to get this project to get this project completed. And they just, I mean, they were just going like total gangbusters and to see all the different aerial photos, plans, and whatnot. It was like a road geek's dream. So <laughs> that was the most recent road meet that I'd gone to. That was last October. when, And it's one of those chances where they drove us onto the construction site. We got to go up onto the bridges while they were still building them and the other places. And it was the one time in my life where I literally got to sort of play on the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, so in other words... Where most motorists and people driving and people traveling absolutely dread construction zones, and and of course they have the, the it has given the construction zone and the orange cone a very very negative connotation. You know, <laughs> all of a sudden, oh, oh, oh it has. And you know, I, the, I admit it can be, especially when in rush hour traffic, it can be annoying. But then to some of us, it can be kind of fascinating too like wow they're putting in new lanes or they're putting in a new hov lane or they're putting in a new bridge somewhere expanding the highway we sort of kind of find that fascinating in a in a funny way i guess you know more than probably most of your average joes who are out there on the road all the time and you were talking about truckers well i have to admire the people who are out there behind the big rigs just driving driving in those trucks you know i don't know if i could just constantly be on the road all the time like those guys but my hat's off to to all of them i know one or two personally myself who do it for a living and uh that's 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 one heck of a job and hats off to those guys well i'll tell you there's an increasing number of uh, interstate truck drivers that are uh hams that are into ham radio Mm -hmm. and i've even talked to one or two in the uh nashville area Mm-hmm. Uh, we're located uh, near Nashville. Uh, there is the 3191 repeater, and there's a lot of truck drivers on 3191. I listen to 3191. that. 3191. I'll have to make a note of that one. I, I listen to that machine quite a little bit. And I what I enjoy about it, and I don't know about your traveling across the country, what you've found, uh, but, but I found that uh, two-meter activity sometimes is pretty sparse. I mean, you can go into an area and scan through an entire range of frequencies and uh, not hear one contact, not one person, you know. And then, of course, you throw yeah. your call sign out <laughs> and nobody answers. It's like, hello. Well, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny you mention that, Ted. One time I remember I was going down I-75 to Florida, and I had a rig in our car as we were heading down to visit some family. So I had the repeater directly with me, and I looked up a couple of the local repeaters, and I swear there was one that was in South Georgia. I can't remember what it was, or for that matter, I'm not going to name names anyway if I did remember, but I swear to goodness, the the individuals, it's like all I did just put out my call, KC4AZO monitoring, and then for some reason, the individual must have thought that I was interfering with a repeater, and they were coming on saying, we're bringing down this repeater. So sometimes I think you run into some folks who may be a little bit too provincial. Oh, let me tell you, don't, don't get me going on this, okay? Uh, I promise. So we'll, we'll drop it. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, I, no I, I kind of enjoy getting going on it sometimes. The, the, the whole deal is that I, I, one of the reasons why I don't frequent VHF a whole lot 
mm-hmm. is because of the two-meter cops, okay? And the 440 cops are worse. I mean, those guys are two-meter cops on steroids. Okay, well, I do have dual-band capability in my um, truck, but I admit I haven't been on 440. And I'm not... I could count on the, on my hand the number of times I've been on 440. Let's see, one, two... Well, you know, okay, my first experience with, with a 440, I just got a 440 rig. I never had one before. Mm-hmm. And um, so I flipped around and I, I found a, a pair, uh, yeah. and, uh, uh, and and it was listed in the repeater directory. It was an open repeater, and I keyed the mic and just threw my call sign out. And some guy came back to me within a matter of a few seconds, and then all of a sudden, this guy jumps in and says, um, "We'd appreciate it if you wouldn't use this repeater for casual conversation. The National Weather Service monitors this repeater, and they really don't want to hear this kind of talk all day long." Well, whoop. And, you know, the sun was shining. It was like 80 degrees outside. Well, you know, I ran across another ham friend of mine by the name of Bill. Mm-hmm. And Bill shows up at a lot of ham fests, and he sells a lot of equipment. He really gets into the ham fest. He, I right. think sometimes, I don't think he makes a nickel. I think he just buys rigs to sell at ham fest because it's just something he enjoys doing. <laughs> well, know? I guess, you know, I guess buying and trading or whatever. I guess some people flip houses, some people flip rigs. So I, 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 he had a rig for sale, and it, it was a dual-band rig, and I asked him what he wanted for it, and I said, well, I'm not much interested in the 440 part of it. And he said, why? And I told him. And he said, yeah. you know, now that you mention it, he said, exactly the same thing happened to me. And then we had uh, a, a, a fellow's uh, young kids that were attending the blind school here, right. and they were up on 440. They got ran off, you know, so... The, uh, you mean a bunch of blind hams? Yes, young young well, that's, men. That's pretty bad. It is bad, horrible, you know. And so, anyways, and I don't mind talking about this stuff because this is one of my pet peeves about about yeah. amateur radio. Now, I I think that there ought to be more focus on rag chewing on two meters. Well, you'd absolutely. I tell you what, you'd absolutely love the one four six dot eight two machine of the Atlanta Radio Club, and. That's W4DOC, by the way. So if you're ever in the Atlanta area, give a shout-out on 146.82, well, and I, I guarantee you'll like... find somebody to rag chew with. I've, that's, in fact, if, if my rig were, I'll put it this way, Ted. If my rig were busted and the only thing that I could tune into in the Atlanta area was 146.82, it wouldn't bother me one doggone bit. That's how much I love that repeater. Well, I mean, see, don't that's... get me wrong, there's a, great, there's a whole bunch of great repeaters in the Atlanta area, but 146.82 is the one, I guess, I kind of say if I had to choose a, favorite that's the one i've fallen in love with uh you know i, I guess so the way i look at it too is i don't want to talk on any closed repeater system okay right. uh, to me i think that if a person puts up a closed repeater system far as i'm concerned they're not really an amateur they're not a ham they're not operating in the spirit of the hobby uh and that's going to make a lot of people mad i know but you know i i just you know one of the problems we've had is declining numbers in ham radio and of mm-hmm. course they dropped the code hoping that that would correct it but, you know, if you've got a bunch of snobs running a bunch of repeaters, you're not going to have any activity. And, and people are going to think negatively about the hobby, uh, especially people. I, I hear it all the time. I hear especially young folks say, well, you know, there's no activity on two meters. It drives a lot of them to HF, which is probably a good thing. But um, the young gal that we interviewed, and I'm trying to think of her name. It's on the tip of my tongue. She's nine years old, just got her extra class license. Wow. And I asked her, I said, well, what do you think about two meters? And she says, there's nobody talking on two meters. You know, I mean, that's a nine-year-old, and that's her, her perception immediately. You know, and I think, well, that's pretty bad. And I, like I said, I, it, a traveling uh, two-meter radio, uh, and I, I hate to say this because this is part of our hobby, 
two-meter radio is just not much company. Uh, you find a little bit better conversation on Citizens Band. <laughs> Sad enough to say. But you can go through a major town, major city, and I say major, not necessarily like a Detroit or an Atlanta, All where right. you've got oodles of repeaters, but I'm talking about just traveling across country. You go through good-sized cities and, and get, on, get on a repeater pair and throw your, like you said, you can throw your call out a dozen times. You're just talking to yourself. And if you happen to strike up a conversation with someone and you do a little rag chewing, then you've got two or three of the of that group that's just mad as a hornet because you're talking on their repeater. So I don't know what that is. I don't know where it came from. I've been in ham radio a long time, and I don't understand that at all. It makes no sense to me. But I do know one thing. If those repeaters sit unoccupied for long periods of time, weeks and months and whatnot, we will eventually lose those frequencies. Well, you know, if you think about it, Ted, back in the early 90s, if I recall correctly, we lost, we pretty much lost 220 through 222, I believe. That, that, that's correct. We did. We lost a chunk there. Pretty yeah, good time. We, we lost that part, and I would hate to see us lose any part of, any part of two meters especially. And H1N1, if you haven't given it much thought, you need to start now. Go to h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. Look at the menu and go to H1N1 Flu Tracker Map USA. You can see exactly where the H1N1 virus is breaking out. It may be in your community already. You can order the Flu Blocker Influenza Kits today. They contain all the necessary personal protection, equipment to help guard against the spread of the influenza virus within your work, home, and school environment. These kits contain fever strips, a protective N95 mask, disinfectant surface wipe, antimicrobial hand wipes, and a tissue pack. Look for our note on the top of the page that says, as advertised, on Radio Disclosure and the Amateur Radio QSO Show. That is your assurance to get the highest quality flu blocker influenza kits today. The H1N1 virus is here, so don't delay. Order your kits today at h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. It's the 4040. It's a new 40-meter monoband antenna. It looks just like the Adventurer or the TW2010. It's the perfect antenna for high-performance DX communications in a portable package. This antenna system is ideal for camping, emergencies, or permanent installation where you got to go stealth. 7.0 to 7.3 megahertz without the necessity of either manual band changing or the need for a controller. Just attach the feed line and you're ready to talk. That's the Trans World Adventurer 4040. Go to their website. Take a look. Transworldantennas.com. That's transworldantennas.com. At QSO, we've got a new prize closet, and we've got some interesting things going into that prize closet. Be sure and write us and send us that email that says, I want to win. Put that in the text somewhere in that email and go to our website, qsoradioshow.com. That's qsoradioshow.com, and send us an email. Tell us a little bit about yourself where you're listening, how the signal's coming in, or if you're listening by podcast. But be sure and put on that email, I want to win, because we're going to have some really, really neat things to give away. We'll be putting those things up on the website and telling you more about them on the air. Be sure and don't miss out. Send us an email and put in there, I want to win. Go to qsoradioshow.com. 
That's QSORadioShow.com or TedRandall.com, R-A-N-D-A-L-L, and we'll look for your email. And now, ladies and gentlemen, back to this week's QSO. A lot of folks say, a lot of folks have said, and, I, and this is a false statement, we're losing the kids to the computers, you know. Uh, and, and, yeah, that's what I say because, I, you know, I've got two sons that are, that are computer geeks, and uh, uh, they're younger, and they, they love ham radio. And, of course, the marriage between the computer and the amateur rigs is, uh, is, is really phenomenal. I mean, to think today that you can, that you can uh, pop a, uh, a Cat5 connector into the back of a ham rig, yeah. you know, and with your, with your notebook, run your, your radio from any location, um, you know, it's phenomenal. You know, and I think oh, it that, is, it is. that uh, that would interest <clears throat> a lot of young people. A lot of them, I think, the the hobby is just not being presented to them. They're just they, especially traveling. Um, I, I don't think it's being presented to them. I think they don't. They just don't see it. And uh, we have amateurs have become a very very closed community. And I and I, I you know I've I've listened in. I mean, it's not just on two meters. I mean. I've heard this happen on on uh, on the HF bands, uh, especially like say for example, eighty meters at night. You'll have a um, you'll have a group of guys in there talking, and some new guy comes along and pops in and says, "Hey, I, I just put up an antenna and, and hooked up my radio. Uh, I was hoping that somebody could give me a signal report." And, and, and they get mad. <laughs> they get mad at the guy. It's like, "Wait, you're bothering us. Go away." You know? Yeah, really. It's it, like, uh, let me see here. I got an amateur radio license. I'm licensed to operate on the bands therefore i got as much right as you do on this piece of real estate well it's like um you know it's, it's like that what they believe is they have they're operating on an assigned frequency the fcc uh-huh. assigned them this frequency and they own it and they don't want anybody interrupting their conversation and it gets very clickish and and that yeah. sort of thing that's what that is really what is 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 detrimental to this hobby i mean i think that we all owe the hobby one thing and that is to welcome new people in and to be friendly and and not to exclude anybody and and i i don't know i just think that's and i and i think we need to talk on two meters i think we need to get on there and rag chew i think people need to leave the radio on during the day and when somebody throws a call out if there's any way you can get to the microphone and talk for a few minutes go say hello oh absolutely <clears throat> and if I you're busy you truth, if there was any way i could theoretically do it on my real there's any way i could do it on my real job i'd do it of course you know but yeah every time i'm out there on the on the road i love to have my Love to have my two meter rig on. If nothing else, you know, monitor one four six dot five two to see if anybody's out there listening on Simplex first. And I keep a copy of the repeater directory. And and as far as again, and I'll tell you, I've also I've had some. I would say, as far as my experiences are concerned, Ted, I would say that they would been. I would say probably a little bit more good experiences as opposed to the ones like that one in South Georgia where they just acted like I was doing interfering, and I was looking at my wife, and I was saying, well, what the heck? And I was like, what the heck? I wasn't doing I wasn't doing anything like being out there and being a you-know-what, but I'll tell you, I've had some of the friendliest conversations with people on repeaters in, oh, let's see, Lakeland, Florida, again, Decatur, Huntsville, Coleman, of course, my hometown here, Atlanta, and, and one of the neat ones was I found an obscure little repeater that hardly anybody ever gets on in the Florida Keys back few years ago when my wife and I were traveling the overseas highway to go to Key West. Found a, I can't remember what the repeater is right offhand, but at first I thought I wasn't hitting it because it didn't have a courtesy tone, but as, but then somebody came back to me and we probably had a pretty good rag chew for at least, oh, 10 minutes or so going up and down the road. 
Well, I, I, so, I yeah, the, you know, they're out there. I mean, they're out there. You're right, and and they're out there. I guess just sometimes it may be a hit and miss, but when you find them, to me, it's great. Uh, I don't know. I I really enjoy hearing rag chews as well, even if I can't. Yeah. If I can't participate, it's always cool to have a radio on uh, yeah. and, and listen to uh, a couple of guys talk about all kinds of things. And you learn things. My goodness, there's people out there talk about stuff, and uh, you'll pick up on all kinds of information you you just didn't know anything about. But now in, in our area here, uh, I know the 3191 machine is an open repeater. bunch of really friendly guys. Now, open repeater meaning like no PL tone? No PL or? tone required. And, and, there's, um, uh, and there's a lot of truck drivers passing through that I hear that, that hit that machine. And I think they hit it for that reason, because, you know, no one's going to jump on them and say, well, you know, you shouldn't be talking on this thing. This is for official use, you know. Um, yeah. Boy, I'll t- <laughs> that, that's another area I don't want to get going in. But anyways, uh, there's another machine here, the 6-7 machine. Uh, it's open, and uh, a lot of friendly people hang out on it. That's run by Bob Wiggins, AF4TZ. It's a good machine in Nashville. If you're passing through, the 6-7 machine is excellent. And there's a number of others that are not that are not as frequented, you know, that are there, mm-hmm. that, that the people are friendly. But, well, that's good to know, because next time my wife and I go to Nashville, we were there We were there earlier this year. My wife had taken a class at Scarrett Bennett there in downtown near Vanderbilt. Now, we didn't have a rig in, in the car, but uh, if, I'd have, if I'd have known that, I'd have definitely loved to get on those machines. I appreciate the information there, Ted. Well, I think it'd be, it's kind of cool when a person can take an HT with them on vacation or, or if yeah. they're on business or something and from your hotel room you'd be able to fire up the 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 ht and do a little rag chewing with the local people you know on a machine somewhere without the fear of being you know admonished or kicked off or something i i'll tell you when i first moved into the nashville area Uh i knew nothing about the repeaters of the machines and i i jumped and i don't even mind saying it at that time it was the 88 machine here in town right and I got on the 88 machine, and I was on my way down to Dothan, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I, I broke in on the machine. There was a couple of guys talking, and I said, I hate to bother you. I said, but do you folks know or have any idea, because I'm in the car, what the repeater pair would be for Dothan? Or is there a machine there? It was a long time ago, so I mean, the question was, was there even a machine there, you know? But mm-hmm. do you all know anything about it? And there was this pause, and there was this silence. And all of a sudden, this guy come back on. He says, uh, you're not a, remember, a member of this repeater association, so you are not allowed to use this repeater. I thought, oh, okay. So I keyed the mic, and I said, I'm very sorry. I didn't know that. I heard you guys talking. I'm on my way to Dothan. I'm just looking for the repeater pair. Thank you very much. And I signed my call. Oh, excuse me. I signed my call. And then when I got done signing my call, the guy came back. He said, evidently, you don't understand what I just said. You're not allowed to speak on this machine. I am turning the repeater off. And I heard a couple of touch tones, and the machine went off. The machine was off. Wow. <laughs> I thought, okay, fine, punish right. everybody right. because you know <laughs> I don't want to be on this machine anyways. You know, uh, it just uh, oh man, I mean, like what in the world? I bet he was a security guard. I hope to God no one ever gave him a gun. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> I could just I could see that right now. You know, but I I would be willing to bet if you looked in his trunk, he's probably got the orange jumpsuit and a case of flares, and uh, you know the, all the flashing lights, and uh, he's emergency going to save the world. You know, 
Oh, it sounds like, uh, have you ever seen a website called hamsexy.com? Yes, I've seen that a couple times. There's some real funny stuff up there. Yeah, a guy, a friend of mine here in Atlanta, George KF4DSO, told me about it at the last Atlanta Radio Club meeting. So I I went out there, and that's like I spent about an hour or so going out there and just laughing at the... a lot of these things that you've seen on there, like people who whose cars look like porcupines, or they have all these stickers like amateur radio, amateur radio, Skywatch, this, that. Yeah, and well, some crazy story about some guy that pulled up in some scene. I guess the cops were still there, and he's like, "Oh, I'm amateur radio. I'm with Aries." Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you something. That's something that that, that we have. I and mean, again, to- I'm not knocking. You know, I'm not knocking Aries or you know anybody that does you know does MCOM or anything. But I guess it's, I guess like anything else, you have to watch. We we do kind of have our cowboys every now and then. Yeah, I, and I, I was going to say that that's something I think that 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 we need to be a lot more cognizant on uh, in, in that area uh, yeah. because we had a situation here not too long ago where a um, a gas main exploded and mm-hmm. we had flames going hundreds of feet in the air and you could see this for miles and miles and miles you know so my son and I we drove down to the site we we just saw the flames and we just went down there we were curiosity seekers is what we were we weren't anything mm-hmm. other than that but I happened to know the sheriff of the county. And I that this was in, and um, we pulled up, and he saw the antenna on the back of Matt's car, and he knows me, so he had to tease me. And I walked up to him, and he said, "Well, uh, are you guys here to tell me what to do and how to do it?" He said, uh, "He said, if you got if you got some flares and uh, some suits, can you organize uh, our law enforcement and fire emergency crew here?" You know. And he said it just dripping with sarcasm. He was teasing, though. I mean, he oh, was, yeah. you, know, you know. But unfortunately, I think too many, there have probably been too many folks that have given a negative image of our hobby in that respect. And I, I guess the thing of it is, is hams are so valuable during emergency times. And they are and they can be, absolutely. Uh, but but we have that extreme. But, I, I'm, but back on back on the, re, the the repeater subject, though, I, I really believe uh, in my heart of hearts that uh, that amateur radio operators ought to ought to encourage rag chewing on two meters. And the thing that I noticed, I think, just encourage rag chewing. Period, regardless of band. Well, I think two meters is two meters Absolutely. and VHF is is a, VHF and UHF suffers though from that because we we have got a whole group up there that are policemen you know there would be cops and security guards and uh, and all they want to do is 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 just you know tell people where to go you know you know file to the right keep to the right you know (laughs) like move along nothing to see here yeah uh and, and but the, the, one of the biggest problems is, yeah. and I and I, I've noticed this since I was very very young listening to ham radio, and that is, hams used to be conversationalists. Uh, I remember tuning into hams that were on AM mm-hmm. back when I had uh, an old shortwave radio that would only pick up AM. Yeah, and these guys were like storytellers. They would get on and they would talk to each other back and forth. It was the most interesting thing. I would have to say that's one of the things that really captivated me and pulled me into the hobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them were pretty well-versed in all sorts of different subjects, and they would talk about everything under the sun. And uh, the hobby was was not just talking technical stuff. They talked about everything. Oh, yeah. And I found that so compelling as a young kid, preteen and, and whatnot, listening to this. And I, in my head, I said, you know, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to be able to get on and talk to all these guys and, and learn all this stuff, you know. Well, you know, there, there's one fellow you'd probably really love talking to on the 8-2 machine. There's a friend of mine, David, W4CLR, and 
he kind of has a thing where he loves to talk about anything but radio and computers on the radio. And, he, you know, we can get into some pretty good conversations about a whole lot of different non-radio, non-computer related things about everything from psychology to law enforcement to whatever. And it's, he's one of the most interesting people that I've ever found that I've talked to on uh, on amateur, amateur radio, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. The, so, yeah, um... they're, they're out there. They're hard to find, maybe, but they're out there. Well, you know, and you hear those conversations, and they're and and they're and they're kind of neat. Of course, you hear some people get in that talk about politics, and that gets pretty heated. You know, <laughs> that's something I particularly. I, that's one of those things that I've kind of shy away from. When I learned about about good ham radio operations, I decide I don't talk about politics, religion, sex, you know, things like that. That's just something well, that we. Don't, if I don't if I don't talk about it in Sunday school, I'm not going to talk about it on ham radio. Well, I, th- I think that the, the, what's interesting though is is the the, the guys that decide they want to engage in that and they do want to do a debate on it and they get on the air yeah. to do it um the, the, there's some real good discussion and good for them you will hear some good discussion where guys don't they don't get mad they just they All just right. talk you know and when the QSO's over everybody's still friends i mean it's not a fight or anything like that and that's that's kind of cool because then you hear a conversation about yeah. something that's controversial and i don't think there's anything at all wrong with talking about something controversial over ham radio as long as both parties you know realize well, they respect someone's right to their own opinion they have to respect each other they have to show right. respect and and in and the intent cannot be to offend and and I, that's another thing too we hear a lot of on the air these yeah. people actually do things deliberately to offend another person over the air and i've often you know i don't know what that's all about but anyhow oh, okay. but let's get back let me get back to this website of yours this georgiaroadgeek.com yeah. uh, now you got some good pictures up here but well, you've also you. I, I see a road sign it looks like something that you've created here uh, in the picture, and it says Georgia Road Geek talk show on blogtalkradio.com. And yep, tell me, I have my own little talk show on Blog Talk Radio. In fact, I, a couple of my a couple of guests that I have had, including but not limited to, have been I've interviewed the Dan McNichol, who is a author who wrote a book on the interstate highway called The Roads That Built America. And then just about a year ago, I got Alex Devagorsky from Ice Road Truckers. Goodness. But most of my guests have been just regular old just road geeks like, like me and just enjoyed talking to them. Well, that's, uh, this is... But th- yeah, but when I scored Alex Devagorsky, it's like, whoa. So now, let me let me ask you this. Now, now, how often do you do this, and how can folks uh, uh, download this thing into their iPods? I have, I'll have. i tell you what, there's a lot of folks traveling that do the download thing off of iTunes or Zune, and uh, and, and listen, of course, we're on iTunes and we're on Zune. All you got to do is enter amateur radio or ham radio, and, and we're one right. of the things that comes up. Uh, how do they get to you? Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. The uh, easiest way, in my opinion, is to go to the is go to the Georgia Road Geek Blog Talk Radio website, which is blogtalkradio.com slash Georgia Road Geek, and you actually have an icon here for, and you can actually download this to either just a regular MP3 or download via iTunes. For it right now, yeah, here we go. So we do have it actually available through iTunes, or if you just go to iTunes directly, crank up your iTunes application, and type in Georgia or Georgia Road Geek, you'll find me. Well, I think this is cool because this is uh, th- this is kind of a new hobby to, to to think about it. I mean, and why would yeah. it not be a hobby, folks, to be uh, be road geeks that enjoy traveling and, and, the, yeah. you know, and get to and where I like they mixing the ham radio in with it too. In fact, I've found that I've enjoyed the ham radio more with this mixing it with my hobby than I ever have. 
Well, I know when when I was younger, you know, one of the family activities was, you know, you get up early in the morning, and and, and my dad would say, "Let's go for a ride." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we'd all pile in the car, and yeah, we, we would wind up. Growing up, I was I was living in the Detroit area, so we would either wind up way out on the west side of the state somewhere, or he'd wow. go over into Canada, and we'd go all the way up and through. Some, I mean, you can travel a pretty good distance in a day and turn around and come right back home yeah. uh, without too much trouble at all. And it, as long as you're not pressed to be somewhere at a specific time, it can really be an enjoyable thing, especially oh, if there's it is. no and all goal. The things you can kind of learn. I mean, not just the roads, but all the different scenery about. All things like passing, you know, historical sites like old covered bridges, historical markers, which I've developed an interest in. It's like stopping at historical markers and learning some history that you may not have ever heard of. Uh, one of the things, all sorts of things you can that I, you can learn and encounter when you go road trip, and you don't have to be a road geek to do it, but. Well, you know, I, I was going to say, if there's not necessarily a goal set, in other words, you don't have a time frame and. You aren't going to have to be somewhere by a certain time, and you that was can last like two weeks ago with me. Just kind of, I didn't have to be at the. I left Friday, and I, you know, I figured I'd get to the Huntsville Ham Fest on Saturday morning. So you know, <laughs> well, you know, if you if you if you can kind of do it on the fly, though. I mean, like for example, you just get yeah. in the car. Uh, and, and you drive, and you don't really have any particular goal in mind. You're just exploring, um, you know, roads, and and uh, where is this going to go? Where is that going to take us? Turn off the Tom Tom, you know, and uh, <laughs> oh yeah, and just and just go, you know. Uh, I think I don't know. I think that could be really cool. And I'll tell you what we used to do. And this is I mean this now. Here's talk about geekish kind of stuff. Uh-huh. We used to go tower hunting. We we get off on a road and just go down the road and we'd look for tower lights. This is at night, you know. And uh, yeah. we would just we would just drive to the towers just to see what they were, where they were, how do you get to them? A lot of times you can see them, you can't get to them, you know. And uh, had a lot of fun doing that. Discovered a lot with a lot of towers were, you know, what they were and, you know, who owned them and what the, what was going on. And was it a cell tower? Of course, back some time ago, it was, you know, business band and mm-hmm. and things like that. But uh, that was always, that was cool. I mean, it really was. Had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. Well, how many people are into this that you know of? I mean, is how big of a, a following does this does this hobby have? Well, let's just say that I know of, and there may be a whole lot more out there. But I probably know at least a couple of dozen or so that I know of. But, you know, there may be a whole lot more out there than than I imagine. Perhaps one of these days there's going to be, or somewhere out there right now as we speak, someone out there has discovered sites like, such as my site, or there are some other road-related sites like aaroads.com, gribblenation.com. There's all sorts of alpsroads.net. I have a link to several different road-related sites. If you go to and more stuff on the first page, and then you look for links to other websites. Oh, let's see. I've got links to California Highways. There's a guy in South Georgia that has his own website called Coast Coastal Georgia Roads, which is coastalgeorgiaroads.net. Oh, and some other road blogs and travel-related blogs, like a friend of mine in Raleigh, North Carolina. Adam Prince has a blog called Sure Why Not. He has an excellent blog, and he's gone. I mean, he's he's into roads, but he's gone beyond roads. He's gone into things like some of the things you find off the beaten path, like classic gas stations and other classic old town buildings and whatnot. Now oh, that would be cool. You, you, yeah, you know, if you go to Sure Why Not which is surewhynotnow.blogspot.com. A lot of it has to do with road-related stuff, but then some of it from time to time will also include things like the scenery, the different scenes you'll encounter, especially off the beaten path. 
Now, do you when you when you go do you are these road trips primarily daytime only, or do you go a, a distance, spend the night, and drive a little more, and then come back home, maybe spend the weekend doing it? Well, the ones that I've done have been more vacation like when my wife and i were going vacation so we'd sort of plan our little road trips to go to certain areas and and this is where i got to give a lot of credit to my wife mary mary is absolutely supportive of my ham radio and of my road geeking and one time bob oh let's see yeah a year ago memorial day when we went to florida we made our way by way of Tallahassee and then went down to Tarpon Springs to see some things like I've never seen Weeki Wachee. And, of course, for that matter, she's a Florida girl, never seen Weeki Wachee. But on our way from Atlanta to Tallahassee, she let me take a little bit off the beaten path because I wanted to make sure that I actually physically drove in certain counties in South Georgia that I wanted to clinch. So we just kind of took our own sweet time heading down to Tallahassee to go see my sister-in-law and her husband. And, and even on the way from Tallahassee over to Tarpon Springs, she let me go a little bit off the beaten path just so I can kind of see some areas of Florida I've never seen and driving florida counties i've never driven in so having a supportive spouse has meant the whole world to me ted oh i can imagine that'd make all the difference in the world especially (laughs) if you you have to engage uh you know in a confrontation to go see something you know um (laughs) and uh, no worries about that in our household ted (laughs) so now let me let me ask you this question you you uh you're doing your traveling and i know this is this is going to be a weird one but we do a a radio show called Radio Disclosure that talks about all kinds of different strange things. Uh, have you ever stayed at any haunted places, or have you ever gone to places that are haunted? That you have you ever sought that out by any chance? No, I'm not big into into haunted places per se. Not <laughs> you don't, you don't want to get your hair pulled in the middle of the night, is that, is that what you're saying? No, or I'm seeing the ghost of some old some old Confederate soldier or whatever. I'm not I'm not exactly quite into that. It's just not something that I really that either my wife or I dig. You know, it's a, you know it's it's become a big thing. Uh, yeah, and uh, of course it's all over television, but. Not I think there's a lot of places, a lot of old uh, taverns and inns and, and uh, locations around the country that uh, this has become a big attraction to pull people in. You know, and, and I don't. Oh think- yeah, Savannah for that matter, the haunted Savannah and those haunted tours. In fact, Roswell, Georgia. If you don't mind my plugging it, my wife works for the Roswell Convention and Visitors Bureau, and they have actually they have sort of they have what they call ghost tours that they'll do from time to time. They're especially popular around Halloween, where you. You'll have tour guides that'll take you around Roswell and talk about certain haunted places where the ghost of so-and-so supposedly lurks, whatever. Well, you know, yeah, I, they, yeah, they have become fairly popular recently. Well, I think with all the television shows and whatnot, and, and I think some folks some folks marry the history of the area, you know, to a, a legend, you know, of a ghost story or a haunting or something like that, and uh, it, it provides a good amount of tourist trade. People come in, most of them, 99% of them don't ever see a ghost, but it's just the eeriness. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, I mean, again, it's not exactly my thing, but I'm not knocking it by any means. So, what what did you folks do at uh, Weekiwachi Springs or the, the uh, there's a state park there? Uh, I'm just curious as to what 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 did you see? What did you do? 
Well, let's see. We went down to Weeki. We went from Tallahassee to Weekiwatchee. We went, of course, saw the. Went had to go see the mermaids, and they even had a classic mermaid show where they brought back mermaid alumni from. You know, these were they had ladies even up to about seventy or eighty years old who came back and did a special mermaid show. Wow. <laughs> so you know, that's the I guess the, the kitschy Weekiwatchee thing that you've probably heard of. But you know, so it was a, it was a neat little place to visit. Well, that's and where they have. And, of course, Wikiwachi, seeing the, the, the clear springs. They have the uh, canoe things and the kayak things going on there, I know. and they, I, 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 I don't know for sure, but is that one of the locations where they have the clear bottom uh, canoes that they take you out in? The water is so clear you can see you know, all the way to the bottom. I, I don't know. Not Wikiwachi, okay. but Silver Springs near Ocala does. I remember doing that as a child. I, you know, I, I didn't know. Well, where are you headed now? What's uh, what's going to be your next road trip, and you know, what direction are you going to be going in? Oh, I don't. You know, right now, Ted, I don't know, but you, but you never know. It's kind of like the Huntsville thing was. I had had an idea that I had some time that I just wanted to go out and visit the Huntsville Ham Fest, and just decided pretty much right there on the fly. That in a case like that, and then other ones are mostly planned around like when we go down to Florida to see my wife's family, or go into the Carolinas or just we, my wife and I love to travel and see different places especially historic places like Charleston like Savannah when we were in, in fact when we were in Charleston and Savannah this summer got to see Port Fort Pulaski and went up to Charleston saw Fort Moultrie and enjoyed crossing the the new Arthur Ravenel Bridge which actually I have on Road Geek Cam if you go out to the Road Geek Cam site well, I, uh, you know, I've enjoyed looking at your website. You've got some outs- outstanding pictures. Uh, you know, one thing I like about it is the fact that it, uh, I think this thing really gives some folks some ideas. I mean, it, it kind of puts a different spin on, on going out and traveling. And I, I think one of the things that, that, that I see in this is it causes folks to pay attention maybe to, um, to things they normally just ignore. You know, in other words, there's a certain magic about getting out on the highway and traveling even a short distance to some place nearby, you know, getting away from the house, getting away from the grind. And, and getting out on the road and uh, and making a little road trip. I mean, I just think that uh, yeah. that's something we're missing. Um, and think about this, Ted. You know, in this country, we t- we take our roads and our highways for granted. And I'm talking everything from the country roads all the way up to the to the big super highways that connect major cities. I mean, if you think about that, you think about how how the roads in this country, especially the interstate highway system, which actually was the brainchild of Eisenhower plus one of Eisenhower's people that helped him that helped him get the interstate system going was a Georgian by the name of Lucius Clay, who had been a general. You probably know Lucius Clay from the Berlin Airlift. So Georgia has a little bit of a connection to the interstate systems, Genesis. Yeah, it's interesting because we're we're of the age that we don't remember because we weren't here pre yeah. pre interstate. You know, uh, I, now there's some parts of town. I mean, this, what's really interesting is I, I'm a, I'm a, a native Detroiter. I was from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Originally, you know, and I know a lot of folks here in the South. If they're from up north, they won't admit it. Uh, I know a couple of hams that are scared to death to say that they were nor- they, they were born north of the Mason Dixon line. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know about Nashville, but I don't, but folks in Atlanta aren't too terribly afraid to admit it. We're kind of a rare breed down here, native Georgians, or for that matter, native Atlantans. But that's all right, you know. But anyways, my my roots, my on my mom's side of the family, are, are in Tennessee. So yeah. I I uh, you know I, I I share a lot of that. But what what I what I think is interesting though is the fact that uh, um, so my mother-in-law, for that matter, my mother-in-law is born in Jackson, although she was raised in Florida, but she was born in Jackson, Tennessee. I had I had the uh, the I went back to Detroit for a visit and it hadn't been in, in like twenty years if you can believe this and uh, I went back and <laughs> the interstate system has grown so much there I didn't recognize anything there were roads there that I where did this come from you know, <laughs> you know I, well this never used to be here you know and uh, but I, but we're, we've become so used to it now that it would be interesting to extricate the um, the interstate highway and uh and force yourself to travel the old routes as they say and uh, oh if you uh, ted if you if, if if heaven forbid something like that happened that would set this country back at least 50 60 maybe even 100 years well you know i i, I recall going somewhere i forget where it was and i had the bright idea i said let's take the uh, let's take the old road and we did and wow <laughs> It wore us out. <laughs> I mean, we were just, I mean, it was like curves and hills and curves and hills in old hotels and motels. I shouldn't say hotels, old motels that were closed up. Uh, there were, you know, uh, I guess I want to say gas stations and uh, restaurants and things that they oh, were. Oh, yeah, that thrived during the days when that was the major corridor before the interstate system happened. And. If you think about it, and this is one more thing before I have to go, but look at China. Do you realize that China is in the process of building their equivalent of an interstate system? They've already built, you know, they've already built thousands of miles already, and their goal is to build an interstate system of sorts throughout the whole country that will be a quarter million miles. Wow. Think about it. That's like taking an interstate highway and stretching it straight from the earth to the moon. Well, I'll tell you, you know, China's huge. I mean, that... and it, it is huge, but you got to realize that they, and what did they do? They studied our interstate system. Of course, there's an awful lot of Chinese to work on those roads, too. <laughs> there's a lot of people in that country. But you think about it, you know, we, the interstate system has, you know, has inspired them and they figure, you know, if they, you know, if they want to stay competitive. One of the things that they have to have, they figure, was having a superior road system. And and that 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 that's a that's a whole deal. You think about and the them. interstate system itself was inspired by the autobahns that Eisenhower encountered when he went to went to Germany when when the uh, when the autobahns were built by Hitler's regime to move and the idea was to be able to move troops and all that back and forth. The whole idea of having super highways came from the autobahn that we observed in Germany and we took it and put our own spin on it. Well, I'll tell you something. I, I don't want to keep you too long. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, same here. And uh, I also want folks to be able to go up and explore your website. So just remember the the uh, the name GeorgiaRoadGeek.com. GeorgiaRoadGeek.com. And we'll be we'll be going up there and checking out your um, your website and seeing where where it is you're headed uh, in the next direction. And if you are a uh, over the road truck driver, that's a ham that listens uh, to QSO, you're going to find that uh, that blog interesting and uh, oh absolutely if you go out to georgiaroadgeek.com click on the blog site because i promise you i my goal is always to post at least one blog a week so you don't have to worry about there being a whole lot of gaps between blogs <laughs> 
Now, well, they may be short blogs, maybe long blogs, maybe blogs like my most recent blog about the latest series of Road Geek cams that I produced from all the video that I shot between here and Huntsville, Alabama, including a including a stretch of I-565 in Huntsville so that you can take some virtual road trips. You know, I've often wondered why we didn't have more of that. I think that's enjoyable to be able to take a virtual road trip. And also, when you think about folks that can't get out, you know, that are that are homebound, mm-hmm. uh, that is so cool to be able to Thank have you. to click on that and be able to, to cruise on down the highway, uh, you know, on their notebook or on their on their desktop computer. And I've often wondered, too, why there wasn't more, there wasn't more DVD videos like that, because uh, um, <laughs> especially late at night when you've got 90 channels of infomercials, you know? <laughs> you know, I think the other Night, I well, kinda... I would hope that my road geek cam will be a little bit more interesting than some infomercials, although we don't exactly have Billy Mays, God rest his soul. Well, but wait, there's more. <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, you know, what's interesting is I think I counted, uh, the other night I counted like 10 or 15 channels. that of nothing. That were, no, that were running the, the Magic Bullet, you know, and the <laughs> ones that weren't running the Magic Bullet were running Jack LaLanne's Juicer, and Jack is a friend of ours, so I don't think... <laughs> But it's just interesting. I think mean, we got all these cable channels. And they say, well, we get to get cable. That way we get all these extra I know, channels. I know. It's, like, it's kind of like yeah, it used to be you had like, oh, back in the day before everybody got hooked to cable television, you had maybe, including the VHF and the UHF channels, you had maybe five or six channels of nothing. But then came cable TV and satellite, and you get hundreds of channels of what maybe seems to be like nothing sometimes <laughs> yeah. well we're right actually we've come full circle because when Although you get right I like down to history it. channel i like discovery channel i'm a big All fan of, those. of busters ice road truckers i tend to kind of stay in that area these days for the most part as far as my cable watching uh, I, I, I love those channels and uh i, I was, I was going to say the uh the, the other thing i've noticed too is what programming is on You'll have three channels all running law in order. It's uh, you know, and I like that series. I mean, I always enjoyed oh, watching. Yeah. But it's just interesting. You got three different channels running it. So, oh, no, I've no, seen that up. Channel one, two, three. <laughs> I've seen it's this all, episode. Like BBC one, two, three. <laughs> I've seen this episode of Law and Order flip to the other Law and Order channel. You know, so. yeah, really. It's like you have Law and Order Special Victims Unit here, Law and Order Animal Control Unit here, or whatever. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. GeorgiaRoadGeek.com is the site. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I hope your pleasure travels are. I hope your travels are enjoyable, and uh, I hope some other folks get hooked on your hobby. Well, I hope so, too, and please, if you're listening out there, I just want to say that thank you very much for visiting the website. Thank you for reading my blogs, watching my Road Geek Cam, and listening to the occasional Blog Talk Radio talk show, and we'd love to have you. And on that note, I'm going to go ahead and uh, say 73 to you, Ted. This is KC4AZO signing off. All right. Thanks a bunch. Well, that's going to do it for QSO today. Be sure and tune in next week. Same time, same station for QSO.